What is up, everyone? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. As always, I am your host, Taylor Lote, and today we are joined by Austin Curry. Austin is a full-time real estate investor who hasn't been full-time for all that long, just about a year. And today we're going to dig into his journey of moving away from his corporate career to become a full-time real estate investor, what life is like as a full-time real estate investor and a husband and a dad with a young child. There's so much we're going to cover here today with Austin. Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Taylor. I'm really excited to kind of be back. Um, you picked a great length of time. Two years ago, we recorded and much has changed. So looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. So before we go through your journey of becoming full-time, can you tell us about what you're investing in today? What's your focus? What's your portfolio look like right now? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, still investing in small multifamily properties um, across really the Southeast. So Atlanta is where my portfolio is located today. I'm sourcing properties in South Los Angeles, where I live. Um, and then I participate in larger deals. Um, usually I bring like skill sets. So operating as a freelancer and then maybe investing um, in more commercial mixed use development opportunities. Um, so there's two projects that fall in that category. Um, but my portfolio is not much expanded uh, from when we last talked. Um, and we can talk about some of the market conditions that have led to that, but also some of the just life and entrepreneurial conditions that have led to that. Because uh, once you go full time, you do need to pivot away from some of the longer term things you put in motion toward some quick hitting uh, cash flow focused work streams that kind of keep the lights on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's first uh, talk about what was the the push or the kick or the the move that made you go full time and shifted you from employee to full time real estate investor? What happened? Uh, the economy. I actually got caught up in the tech layoffs at the end of twenty twenty two. So I, it was divine timing. We had been planning me to make the leap and my wife was really starting to push me out the door out the nest if you will and then uh, we were on vacation in uh, q4 of 2022 and i was notified that i was i was laid off along with 20 percent of the uh, the company i was working at so that was uh that was the push i took the holidays to kind of rest and reflect and plan. And then January, 2023, we, um, we got rolling. Wow. So a lot of folks would be surprised, maybe even devastated by that, but you were pretty well prepared to have that push into the full-time real estate life. You mentioned the strategy of your portfolio shifting as a full-time real estate investor to more of a cash flow model, keeping the lights on and certainly very relevant things, things you need to think about. So how has that shifted for you? How has your investment model and thesis changed from pre-full-time real estate to now full-time real estate for over a year? Yeah, I think um, the same markets I believed in 
for the past four years. I still believe in those, um, which is just markets with which I have a lot of familiarity and attachment to, but also have strong fundamentals, population growth, job growth, all the traditional um, metrics, if you will. And then I'm still a believer in multifamily. Um, the way I guess the way things have shifted is really more in my capital strategy. So two years ago, um, we were really pursuing syndications and the intention was to build like a very broad um, base of potential LPs, right? And then do bigger and bigger syndicated deals um, in those same markets, which probably would have looked like larger and larger multifamily opportunities. And so we kind of grew into that very traditional uh, 100 to 500 unit deals across the Southeast or the Southwest. I feel like that's the the syndication path, right? You're either doing 500 unit deals in Phoenix or you're doing them in Tennessee. And that's pretty much how it goes. Um, that path, I believe, is still viable, but it didn't, the team, I didn't have the right team to pursue that. So that team is not actually in place today. Um, and what I've been doing is joining development teams um, here in LA and bringing my kind of financial analysis and underwriting background as well as relationships and the lending and capital space to help with acquisitions and push toward development or fundraising even. Um, so that's not directly in my portfolio at the moment because that's kind of in a consulting fashion, um, but it has impacted me kind of shutting down that syndication shop because what I'm looking at deals now, I'm really more so kind of looking in a more... I'm looking at the same deals, but I want to pursue them in almost a mom and pop fashion, to be honest, where I'm going to my family. I'm going to, you know, I'm looking at my wife. We're looking at her parents, my parents, siblings. And we're like, hey, can we can we actually move away from trying to scale up and up and up? And can we acquire quality properties that we want to hold for 10 years plus in markets we believe in? to kind of just escape that that rat race of going bigger and bigger, finding more capital. And, you know, capital, stewardship of capital is weighty. It's a lot, you know, and particularly in these really uncertain times in this what felt like an ever-expanding interest rate environment, which is finally going the other way, right, uh, expanding cap rate environment, um, that was stressful. And we're still stewarding the capital we have raised well today, I believe, and we're going to disposition assets sometime in the next three to 16 months, I would say, and do good returns to our LPs. But I just felt like I needed a reset on the syndication game. I didn't have the right team members in place to keep expanding. So I want to execute on what I have now. I want to acquire more properties in that kind of family trust model, if you will, um, while earning the cash flow from the day-to-day -day work I'm doing in this market here. So that's pretty rare. I, I don't know that I've heard many stories of folks who actually successfully syndicated properties and then ultimately decided, okay, the syndication model from, from the general partner side is not right for me. I'm going to scale down and buy smaller properties with just my family or maybe a couple of other partners. You don't hear that very often. Um, 
I guess, you know, can we dig a little bit deeper into that moment, if you will? Was there a moment in time or a feeling or, you know, a decision point where you were like, okay, it's officially time to no longer pursue the multifamily syndication space from the GP side and to focus on these other investments? Like, what was that light bulb or light switch like moment where you kind of accepted that decision? Yeah, you know, I think I, so I went into 2023, I have all, all the time in the world, um, in theory, right? So yes, my team is no longer in place, but given the path that I've been on for the prior three years, you would expect me to be putting a new team in place, pursuing more deals, um, and presenting new high quality opportunities to my my Rolodex of investors. I've built relationships with a handful of institutional capital providers at this time. I've even made a connection to pen, a pension fund allocator who was kind of just like, you just need to get to this bar. Now I was a long way from that bar, mind you. I think pension fund allocators want you to have a minimum of a $100 million track record before they consider investing, right? But, you know, I've made these connections. So I have connections to kind of keep moving up the ladder if I can put the team in place. Um, so that's what I think everyone would have expected me to do um, when I stepped into this full-time entrepreneurship role. But that wasn't what I wanted to get up and do every day. So I, I was finding myself a bit disillusioned um, from the space. I was finding that the return on investment didn't feel aligned to the amount of work it took um, to execute the projects. Um, I was also finding that, if you recall, I originally unintentionally, but now intentionally, I really have only invested in um, majority black and brown low to moderate income areas in Chicago, Atlanta, and now here in South LA, right? And when you think about these areas, the investment models that yield the best return are not the models that are the highest impact to the community, right? So there's a bunch of articles that have come out recently about this, talking about things such as where are all the apartments for families, um, why are millennials moving to the most boring parts of the country again? All this different stuff, right? And it basically turns out that uh, institutional capital wants what they've been seeing for the past 20 years, which is multifamily with commercial on the bottom. And when you look at rents, um, rents don't, it's not a linear scale per square footage, right? Because there's kind of a cap. So one bedroom, to two bedroom, it's not double. It's a little bit less. And then when you get to three bedroom, it tapers off even more, right? So no one's going to build three bedroom apartments in a multifamily. It's just not going to happen. You're going to build 50-50, maybe 25-75, one bedroom, two bedroom, maybe some studios, Um you're going to put some crappy retail on the bottom because no one really cares about the retail. It, it all pencils out off of the rents. 
you do a little bit of affordable housing if you're in California because zoning requires it so you can bump up your density, right? And you're going to make a bunch of money. So within that, that's a, and, I'm, and that's kind of development when I talk about that. So that is a little bit different. But the market I'm in now doesn't have that many large multifamily because it's very dense and it's older. So the multifamily is a different stock compared to the Southeast markets. I don't have a team in place, I would say, to pursue the other markets that I'm most familiar with, which would be North Carolina and Atlanta, and then kind of that impact question. So I know I'm giving you an answer that's not particularly maybe traditional economics, but there is some emotion, there is some human capital questions that kind of come into play. There's some questions around the impact you want to have in your community and all that kind of weighed in. And to your direct to your direct question, so a few months in, I'm kind of I'm sitting, I'm meeting in coffee shops with other real estate professionals, investment professionals. I'm taking a bunch of actions, consulting with small businesses, starting a nonprofit, doing all these different things to bring some money in the door. And none of those things look like the path that I've been on for the prior two or three years. And that's when I was kind of in reflection with my wife, with my advisors, realizing that I had, without thinking about it, I had moved in a different direction and I had to look backwards and examine the emotional reasons for that. And a lot of that is what I just mentioned to you. I love that. I mean, you had some time and some space to really begin to understand your drive and your purpose and what you really wanted to do in real estate beyond just making money in real estate, the, the impact that you wanted to have uh, once again. So you mentioned you had all this time. You talked about taking meetings, sitting down with people, but from a time management standpoint on a daily, weekly, or maybe even monthly basis, how has that changed for you now that you don't have the nine to five? How do you keep yourself disciplined, putting in the work, and also make sure you're not putting in too much work, being that you have a wife and a kid, right? How do you strike that balance and redefine what a, quote, work day means for you now that you don't have an office to go to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the beautiful things is... Um, or one of the many benefits of a child is there's no longer a question of prioritization in your life, right? It's very hard to have an existential crisis when you have a baby because you have no other purpose on this earth but to make sure that child is safe, healthy, and happy, I would say, right? So from a structuring perspective, everything starts and ends there. Um, so for the first um, my son is, is 16 months old. So we, he was about four or five months old going into 2023. Um, and so that first month, there wasn't much I could do because he wasn't quite old enough for daycare. Right. So we're still very much in the, just the, like the two hour loop of baby goes to sleep, he wakes up, he eats, he gets changed, he plays, he goes back to sleep like 
over and over and over again. So I'm trying to take a meeting here and there. I'm trying to look at deals. I'm trying to push this new consulting business, but it's not really gaining steam. Um, once he goes to daycare, which is maybe February or March, when he's around six months, six, seven months old, that's when we have real structure. So from the time he wakes up to when we drop him off, that's baby time. Full-time daddy mode, full-time mommy mode. There's nothing else. There's no business. And then at the end of the day, when we pick him up till he goes to bed, same thing right? Whatever we want to do outside of those times is up to us. So that presents an eight, eight, nine hour workday in the traditional business hours. We're asleep before he wakes up because he wakes up early. After he goes to bed, which is early, it's like 7 p.m. We have the choice of either having quality time as husband or wife or doing work or I don't know, reading, watching a movie, whatever the case may be. So that's the structure. In terms of my time management, I quickly found myself incredibly busy because I was pursuing so many different things to try and figure out what was going to uh, offer me a check, right? So entrepreneurship is a huge portion of it is just business development. Um, and because I took so many meetings um, in that first six months, really targeting like capital sources, small business owners, other investors, um, I did give, now I have a lot of opportunities coming across my desk. So I'm busier than ever, but I'm, I guess what, this is a, a different question, but a challenge I find in entrepreneurship is you have to figure out Everyone brings you something as though it's fully baked and ready to rock and roll, right? They're like, Taylor, I have this incredible idea. We're going to do it. We're going to make a ton of money. Can you give your heart and soul to this thing right now, right? That sounds great. Sounds really exciting. Maybe you do give your heart and soul for three weeks, and you'll quickly find that that thing is not even a quarter baked, right? It's actually six to 12 months away from having any revenue at all, right? And so earlier on, I was giving myself to these really exciting things that other people were bringing to me from all the, I guess, the groundwork I've laid. And I was a little bit scrambled. I was a little bit turning my head too much. And then later, you know, with the help, again, of my wife and advisors, I paired way back and began to recognize when I was being brought something that, it sounds great, but it's a long way from being anything real and kind of locking in on a few pillars um, that I want to push forward every single day that yield real returns for my family. So really learning how to focus on the right things that were in line with your goals and say no to the wrong things and kind of learning that through trial and error, if you will, by focusing on the wrong things or things that weren't ultimately in alignment with your goals there for a few months, if that's a, a, a way to sum it up. Yeah. And interestingly, a lot of times you don't even have to say no, you just have to not take action. Right. So a lot of times people will bring you these amazing things and you can keep them warm, right? You can keep them on the back burner. Yo, that sounds amazing. 
so excited. I'm looking forward to getting into it. And people will kind of, they'll stack rank themselves in terms of what's real and what's not. Because the real opportunities, right? Like uh, people that want to stand up new development companies, people that want to raise a fund, people want all the, you know, a hundred different things within the real estate space. The real opportunity is they'd be calling me the next week, like, hey, I need this, this, this done by this date. And then we'd be off and rolling. And I'd be like, okay, where can I invoice you? And let's do it, right? Because we're all trying to make some money. That doesn't happen for the stuff that's not even a quarter baked, if you will, right? It's ideas, it's talks, let's join this, let's do that. And then it's radio silence. So I was pushing them. I'm nudging them. Hey, what's this? What's the latest on this? Should we do this? And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have to do that. They're filtering themselves out. Let me lock in on the things that are real and can have impact on my life and career today and let those things filter out. And if they become real, we'll figure it out at that point. Nice. Okay. So before we go to the three questions, I ask every guest in the show, I wonder if we could put ourselves in the position where pretend we're talking to Austin, you know, a, a year, two years before you were out of the corporate world, making those preparations, thinking about our listeners out there, folks that are thinking about their path out of the corporate world, what advice would you have given to yourself toward the end of 2021 or 2020 to be better prepared than you were? Now, you were pretty well prepared from the way it seems, but maybe you could be better. There's always lessons learned. So what advice would you go back and give yourself if you could speak to end of 2021 or end of 2020, Austin? Yeah, the uh, the humorous answer to that would be, don't buy that expensive ass car, Austin. <laughs> um, yeah, that's but it, you know, I, it, it is kind of that. It would be save as much money as set a target date, save as much money as humanly possible so you have some cushion. Um, begin modestly reducing your expenses. I don't recommend, recommend people go on starvation budgets while they have W-2. But, you know, the way we've thought about it is we wanted to give ourselves a runway, right? A 12-month runway where we didn't have to make any money. Um, so as I mentioned to you offline, my wife had a role um, after she returned from maternity leave. She was with Twitter um, X and was laid off in that madness. She oh, wow. joined uh, the other startup we talked about that didn't work out. And she went full-time in entrepreneurship eight months after I did. So when we stepped, when I jumped into the pool, we still had one income. Eight months later, we had no W2 income. And the way we managed that was because, again, we had given ourselves a runway and we're like, this is an, this is an investment. We're going to spend this many, this much money to fund our lifestyle. Um, and we're going to give ourselves this much time to kind of figure out what we're doing. And that's been a really powerful way to go about it. Um, so I would really recommend anyone that wants to take the leap. Think about it in that way. Give yourself some amount of time where you don't need income because you've saved very effectively and you've reduced your expenses. And then set some metrics around what you need to learn. You really need clarity and purpose. Um, and you really should spend that whatever length of time you're able to give yourself, spend that time 
relationship building and then getting that clarity and purpose to move into phase two of your entrepreneurship where you're starting to kind of have some financial success and hopefully getting really close to paying all of your bills. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Tracking your rental property business no longer needs to be a hassle. Stessa, a new financial technology company, helps real estate investors just like you take their real estate rental portfolio to the next level by automating the financials of their rental property portfolio. You can get started with just 20 bucks a month to take your rental business to the next level by tracking your properties, automatically collecting rent, tracking your expenses, and so much more. Using technology can take so much of the hassle out of owning a rental property portfolio. So check out Stessa today by using our link in the description and you can get started for free or upgrade to their pro package for just $20 a month. This type of software can save you a ton of time. Go check out Stessa today by using our link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. All right, Austin, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. First, what's your number one book recommendation? Yeah, um, I'm actually going to give a fiction book, which is probably unusual, but I feel like most people that are doing the homework of listening to your show have read the the what's what. They've read The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Guide to Long Distance Real Estate Investing and all that good stuff. Um, so a book I read recently was called Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. The author is Gabrielle Zevin. And it's about, um, it's actually about a working relationship. It's uh, a man and a woman who are video game designers, and they have a decades-long um, professional relationship. And it's really incredibly well-written. It examines these types of relationships from so many different angles. It really informs partnership in the professional space. And uh, I just loved it. So... I'd recommend if you're like me, you probably read 90% nonfiction, give yourself a break, um, open up some fiction, maybe start there. Nice. Question number two, who or what inspires you? I think right now my father-in-law inspires me a lot. Um, and the why is that he has a nonprofit, but he's been doing the work for this the same work, pursuing the same mission for decades, maybe 20, 25 years. In recent times, he's begun having a lot of financial success with that, right? He's getting recognition, getting major grants, business is booming, if you will. So when I think about my own journey, I'm inspired by his commitment and I'm in, and well, the last thing I should mention is that during these decades of dedication without the financial reward he deserved, they funded their lifestyle by real estate investing. So two very strong inspirational themes for me. Um, but just thinking about that, thinking about that level of dedication um, while funding my family, supporting my family uh, with prudent investing, um, I think is really relevant for where I'm at in my journey today. Nice. Number three, think about Austin at 80 years old. If you could speak to him, what advice would 80-year-old Austin give to Austin of today? 
I actually just reread uh, another fiction book called Tuesdays with Maury. It's kind of a nonfiction book, actually. It's very popular, very short. And it's about um, a journalist spending time with a dying man who's in his 80s. And uh, he's giving a lot of wisdom. So I like to think that if I was 80, I would have a similar amount of wisdom. And the thing that he said that I would hope to tell myself is something I'm telling myself right now is um, this phrase of don't buy the culture, right? And, and expanding on that is this idea that there's all of these things that are pushed to us as values that are not actually valuable enough to go into that category. We have, as Americans, accumulation theory where as soon as you buy a house, as soon as you buy your first house, your parents or someone else tells you, this is a great starter home, You'll buy a bigger one in four years. Like someone told me that in this house. I'm like, maybe I won't. I actually like this house, right? So there's accumulation theory. There's ladder climbing socially and professionally. There's all these different things that um, materialism, there's all these things that we buy into as adults, as Americans, as whatever you want to call it. And we don't have to though, right? We opt into these things. We opt into, you know, reading the news every day. We opt into doom scrolling. We opt into all these different things. And the advice would just be values don't have to change. They don't have to be influenced dramatically by external circumstances, and they shouldn't. So the advice is, again, um, don't buy the culture, and you'll be much happier for it. Wow. I love that. Austin, thanks so much for joining us today and updating us on your journey. If folks want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah, um, my website is curryconsulting.co. So my small business owners can connect with me there. I am on Instagram at Austin C-U-R-R-2. I'm a very infrequent user, though. Um so those are kind of the two, website, Instagram, the occasional podcast. But I'm a, I'm much more of a real-life person these days. I'm big on in-person. If you're in L.A., I'm usually moving around in South L.A. trying to connect with capital, with business owners, with real estate folks. I'm pretty easy to find. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.